Hey, City Church family. I am so thankful that you get to hear from my good friend, Matt Hensley, this morning. The last Sunday that I was with you, you might remember I quoted that statement that says, no one ever died of over-encouragement. Well, if anyone ever tried to kill me with encouragement, it was my brother, Matt. He is a Barnabas in my life, is a great friend, um, a great expositor of the word, and I know you will be blessed um, by hearing his teaching this morning. Thanks for being here, Matt. Welcome, Ryan. Good morning. Like he said, my name is Matt Hensley, and uh, I made the long, long trip all the way from Farmersville, uh, Texas, to be with you this morning. And uh, my, my role is as the associational missionary uh, for the Colin Baptist Association. Uh, if you don't know what that is, the, the easiest way maybe to describe it is kind of like he said, a pastor to pastors, a, a Barnabas to, to our, our pastors that are in the association and, and uh, ministers and so forth. Uh, that we've got a number of, of guys that uh, are thriving and doing well. Uh, we've got a number uh, that are really struggling, of course, coming out of the pandemic and so forth. And so my role is largely to, to kind of pour into them and encourage them. Uh, but, but my main passion, my main focus there is to get all of us to work together to plant churches much like uh, this one. And uh, as all of y'all know, Collin County is growing just a little bit. And uh, there's people moving here a lot. Some of you that uh, in, enjoyed maybe Melissa as a, a little smaller town, and, and we as Farmersville, knowing Farmersville has added about 1,500 to 2,000 people in, in about a year, uh, that Collin County is growing very fast. And, uh, and so trying to get our churches and our pastors and so forth to cooperate together, to work together, uh, to, to plant churches, to strengthen churches, and, uh, and also to encourage pastors. And so that's my, my role uh, but I'm not here to talk about that, though uh, my wife is here too, Rebecca, and uh, we've got four daughters that you can pray for us, 11, 12, uh, 14, and 15. And, uh, and so like before they turned teenagers, I had this beautiful orange uh, mane on my chin, but now it's completely almost gray and I'm looking like Santa Claus by the day. Uh, so you can continue to pray for us, but not talking here today about my wife or our daughters as much as I would love to and could fill an hour of that. Uh, today, we are going to continue uh, y'all's journey through Hebrews with a look at chapter 12. And Ryan gave me the entire chapter, so that means uh, y'all don't have small group after this, right? <laughs> y'all are going to be here about four hours. <laughs> Bless your hearts. So, uh, but, but I'm a big uh, baseball fan, and I know there's this other sport that has just recently started and y'all might, might even be planning to go home this afternoon and, and watch some of that, uh, you know, football that they don't really even use their feet a whole lot for it. But anyway, uh, y'all aren't going to make the, uh, the kickoff for the noon game. I'm just telling you right now. But I'm a huge baseball fan. And one of my favorite things in all of sports that really gives me chills is a walk-off home run. And as I was making my way through this this text, especially as we see verses 1 and 2, as y'all considered briefly last week, the, the whole cloud of witnesses, I'm, I'm reminded of a walk-off home run. Uh, those of you that may uh, be ignorant to the goodness of baseball that God created on the eighth day, uh, let me let you know, a, a walk-off home run is maybe the team is, is tied or behind, and, and in walks or up walks, so-and-so, and in my case, I'm a huge Astros fan, and I know I immediately lost about three-fourths of the room, if not more, uh, but, but he walks up all like five feet of him, 
and uh, he stands in that batter's box, and, and maybe he's behind in the count, ahead in the count, and, and eventually it's three balls, two strikes, and there are two outs, and it's all up to him. The other team's closer is, is throwing just straight-up gas. Fans are on their feet. You know, the, the players are in their dugout. They're, they're holding their breath, kind of watching the pitcher, watching the, uh, the batter going back and forth, wondering what is going to happen. The rally caps are on. Everybody's excited. The crowd is on their feet, all of that. And then it's like a holy hush comes over the crowd as the pitcher begins his windup. The pitch is thrown and then crack. Baseball, meet baseball bat, and it begins sailing all the way through the outfield and then just barely gets over the outfield wall. And then the place goes bonkers, right? Fans are cheering. Baseball players are jumping up in the dugout. They're screaming at the top of the lungs. There's, there's bubble gum flying this way and Sunflower seeds going the other way that everybody is excited and on cloud nine, game over, but that's not what gives me chills. Especially when I think about this text and the great cloud of witnesses that we see there, because at this point, as everybody's cheering, everybody's screaming, that batter begins making his way around the bases. He passes first, he passes second, and then as he's rounding third, Suddenly, something begins to, to happen. All the players start coming out of the dugout. They're jumping up and down, and, and they're just waiting on him to just make it to home, home plate. And then eventually, he just jumps, and they're jumping. They're giving him a concussion. They're hitting his helmet so hard. He's getting you know his third or fourth baptism because they're pouring so much water on him. Everybody's having a good time because he has finally made it home. He made it all the way around the bases, and the party is on. They celebrate with joy and excitement as this hero makes it home after his game-winning home run. When I was reading this text, I was reminded of that. Right, this great cloud of witnesses that we see there at the very beginning of chapter 12, because last week you studied chapter 11 and you learned that that great cloud of witnesses were the heroes and the heroines of old, the heroes of the faith, if you will. And we can look to those people like Moses and Abraham and all of those, and, and certainly we should, and, and the author encourages us to. But as I read this text in just a moment, Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to think of the own hero or heroine of the faith in your life. Maybe somebody that told you about Jesus the first time. Maybe it's even your, your pastor, but, but perhaps somebody that has already passed away. A grandmother that loved the Lord, a grandfather that taught you about Jesus, whatever it might be, somebody that has gone on before us, and I want you to picture them among this great cloud of witnesses that we see that's going to tie us from last week into our text this week in Hebrews chapter 12. And so if you have found Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bible, say, I got it. All right, read along carefully as we make our way through God's inerrant, infallible, and inspired word from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, where we see that word, therefore, so it's tying everything that y'all just considered in chapter 11 in with this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? All of those heroes, all of those heroines of old, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run 
with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Yours might say the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who, it says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right, so there in the beginning, what a beautiful scene. Great cloud of witnesses cheering you on as you're called to, to run this race and to run it light, as we're going to consider in just a moment. But in verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So, in other words, you may not give up. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as, as sons? Look at this from Proverbs. It says, my, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For what? The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are all illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In verse 12, we see another therefore. So taking that together, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And all the older men said, Amen. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. In other words, don't let anybody fall behind. Verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And look at this future hope that we're given in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and, and darkness and, and gloom and a tempest and in the sound of trumpet and a voice whose word made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But, and this begins to change everything, you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into innumerable angels and festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word 
than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of God. Let's pray as we study it this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the prayers that we have prayed. Lord, that we have an interceder that, that can hear our prayers. Lord, that you hear us and you respond to us. Lord, we thank you for the songs that have been sung. And even though the music was great and wonderful and beautiful, the words spoke to what we see in this text as well. And they were an offering of worship to you. Lord, now even as we open your word, this isn't just story time. This is also worship for you. And we ask that as we make our way through this text, that your spirit would open our eyes to see in the text what you want us to see, that you would open our ears to hear what you want us to hear, but most of all, that you would open our heart to receive it as you want us to receive it, that your spirit would uh, apply it to our lives, that we would live it out as we go, where we go, to run this race that has been set before us, to follow the pattern that was set by Jesus, to have your spirit's help, to have your discipline, to learn these things, that we are in this together, that we are striving in these races, though we have individual races to run. But Lord, we're still in this together and don't want to let one of our brothers or sisters fall behind. Help us, Lord, as we make our way through this text. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said? Amen. And so kind of like I said, the, the scene there in the first two verses, I want you to just picture that electric atmosphere, right? A great sports scene, whatever it is, you know, that Hail Mary that wins the game or the walk-off home run, whatever it is that, that kind of gets you going. But for them, they had in mind perhaps the old gladiator games in the Roman amphitheater. And while they might have had the Emperor Nero, we have King Jesus. That's quite a bit better. Well, they might have had thousands of cheering fans out on the stands. We have a great cloud of witnesses, the heroes and the heroines of old, and that's much, much better. And so bringing this together with last week, these witnesses are the heroes and the heroines you considered last week. It's as if the author wants us to picture all of those folks that, that went before us as our biggest cheerleaders up in heaven as we run this race here on earth. But sometimes we carry a little back. And we see the warning there in the text that we have to run with endurance the race that is set before us, but, but in order to do that, we have to lay aside every weight. We have to lay aside every sin. And I'm reminded of the time that I had a delayed flight that landed while I had only a few minutes to spare to get to my connecting flight. And it would have been one thing if I did that and, and I didn't have anything with me. But I had a heavy backpack, I had a janky carry-on thing, and it just was... It was a sight to behold, 
right? This was like primetime television. And so I had to book it and I've got the backpack. And if you've tried running with the backpack, let alone with a janky carry-on that's not really wanting to go what direction you want it to go, it was a comedy of errors. And I barely made it to the flight. How much easier would that run have been had I not had the heavy backpack, had I not had the carry-on that didn't want to go the way that I wanted it to go? It would have been much easier. That's the idea here, as the author tells us, to to lay aside every weight, lay aside those sins which try to cling to us so closely. We've got to set it aside so that we can run the race that God has set before us. The idea there, I like to call it, is to, quote, run light. To run light. we got to run, but we are slowed down. We don't have the progress that we're called to have. If we get entangled in sin or or stopped by silly distractions. No, he calls us to run. We've been given a race to run, and we're running with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And then we see that we have this great old cheering section up in heaven that has gone before us, all of the saints of old, including the great heroes of the faith that y'all considered last week. And so we run on in faith with the faithful life of Jesus as our example. This is a long chapter. That's why I'm grateful that Ryan said he usually goes about four hours. And so uh, it could make about three or four sermons itself. But at the end of the day, this chapter is a call for us to, quote, run light with endurance and discipline that stems from our response to the gospel and the help then that we have from our heavenly father, the holiness we are to have with one another as a family, and then the hope that we have in the future. That's going to serve as our points this morning as we see the help first that we have from the Father in verses 1 through 11, then the holiness that we're to have with our fellow brothers and sisters as a family in verses 12 through 17, and then the hope that we have in the future in verses 18 through 29. So I want you to look back in verses 1 through 11 to see the help that we have from our Father first with this great cheering section in heaven and the example that we have from Jesus. Therefore, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right, all the heroes, the heroines of old, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, run light, as I said, run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then he goes on, Consider then him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, or in order to, for you to not grow weary or faint-hearted, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And here's where we get this kind of this help from the father idea. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He goes on, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Why? That we might share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If we consider the context just a little bit, these Christians were struggling with life and death. They were in a struggle of life and death. They were learning well the costs of being a follower of Christ. And so then the author tries to take them out of their own circumstances and their struggles to send their eyes to their Savior, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. It was that Savior who knew what was coming. And it was that Savior who knew why he came. But followers of Jesus weren't immune to their own struggles, their own persecutions, and even martyrdom. In fact, Jesus said that would happen. And we find in Acts 5.41 that the early church rejoiced in suffering. But at this point, we find Jesus is the model but maybe they're struggling to follow in those same footsteps. So the author calls them to set aside sin, set aside hindrances, and he calls us to do the same. Set aside our sins, set aside any hindrances, distractions, whatever it is that is holding us back, pulling us back, that we can run light with endurance. And we've got to run this race right and light with Jesus as a great model for that. But we see in this text that we also have some help from the Father, particularly in regards to discipline. The author quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 and verses 5 and 6 to remind them that the Lord's discipline is partly how he loves us, how he shows his love and his care for us. It is out of that love that he disciplines us. So they're not to take it lightly. It is a gift from God, right? They're not to lose heart, but to receive it with thankfulness. And think of how obviously counterintuitive that is for us. Raise your hand if you just loved getting a spanking when you were a kid. Right? Nobody liked that. You know, we screamed and cried. You know, growing up, this would be a shock to nobody that actually knows me, but I got a fair share of spankings, if not an unfair share. Of, no, I probably deserved all of them, and probably some that they didn't know that I should have gotten even more. But I don't ever recall having my dad or my mom give me a spanking and I say, oh, gee, thanks, mom. That was wonderful. If I did, I'd probably get another one. It's just the way it works. But looking back, that, that discipline, whether it was time out or spanking or, or having a privilege taken away, whatever it might have been, was how my mom and dad were trying to shape and mold me and helping me learn right from wrong. They weren't perfect. Right? They didn't always do it, quote-unquote, right or well, but they tried. And I think to some degree, I am better for it today, but you'll have to ask Rebecca after the service. She'll let you know if that was true. But we see a taste of that here in verse 10 with the line, based on what seemed good to them, earthly fathers. Our earthly parents aren't perfect. They're imperfect, limited. And while there are exceptions, most Discipline out of love and out of care and out of a desire to help us grow and mature. And that's how this text then applies today. We might not all get giddy about a heavy dose of discipline. Nobody likes it. He says it doesn't seem pleasant at that time. 
Nobody just smiles when they're being disciplined. But it is for our good because God's discipline in us is so that we can share in his holiness. And y'all, that is something that takes a lifetime. With Jesus as our Savior and example and the Father, the giver of good discipline, when we err, the Spirit then yields in us this peaceful fruit of righteousness through his work of sanctification day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decades and decades, a whole lifetime until we are called home if we have trusted in Jesus. So Christians, those that have followed Jesus, we don't always follow that path correctly. There's good days, bad days, ups and downs. We err, God disciplines. We err, God disciplines. But he keeps us moving forward as we run light with endurance. That's not the only help that we have. We also have the the holiness that we are to share and to have and to help one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we see in verses 12 through 17, if you look at the text. So we have Jesus as a model. We have the Father as our discipliner when we err, and we have the Spirit that is working all of that together for peaceful fruit of righteousness, but, but we also have our brothers and sisters. Look at the text. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with the people you like. Wait, that might be my version. His version says, God's version says, strive for peace with who? Everyone. And for the holiness, what? For without holiness, sorry, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one falls behind, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. See, God's work on us and and in us through his loving discipline isn't on an island, right? It's not just this silo individual work. But we also see in this passage that he, he gives us others, right? Everyone, our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, that we are knit together here. And all of us are running individual races, but we're running that, those individual races together with fellow brothers and sisters who are running their individual races. And we have to help one another keep moving forward. And so as we're following Jesus, as we're running our races, we are to pursue peace with everyone, even the people that we don't quite like. Even the Rangers fans among us, or the Astros fans among us, or the people that like this or that, even the people that we disagree with. We are to strive for holiness together with one another. And this speaks of accountability and the calling that we have to care for one another. Look at verse 15. I love this. Make sure that no one falls short. No one falls short. No man left behind. No brother left behind. No sister left behind. No child left behind. No teen left behind. No widow left behind. No widower left behind. No brother or sister in Christ falling short. 
And so the author here continues to use some athletic examples to, to make his point. And one of them that, that sticks out to me is this, this idea of disqualification. I used to be a big-time marathoner and, and thought it was a great idea one time to, to sign up for a 100-mile ultramarathon. I've done a lot of dumb things, but this ranks near the top. And it was in Cedar Hill. It was hard. It was grueling. There came a time that I was, I was struggling. It was close to midnight. Nobody was really around me, and, and I, I, we had done the course a few times. There's four laps around this thing, and I, I realized there was this part in the race that if I took just three little steps, I would cut 10 miles off of my run. I'm looking behind. I don't see anybody. I'm looking over there. I'm not seeing anybody coming. I'm like, oh, I could be done and get to Whataburger, triple meat, Monterey Jack cheese, spicy ketchup. I could be done. Lord, you'll forgive me, right? So I had all this temptation. Nobody was there. It was going to cut off 10 miles, and I would be almost done. And about that time, out of nowhere, a runner who I thought was a ghost or something comes up like, let's go! You got this! Like, keep going! Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, I probably only stayed on that course because of that guy. Had I taken the shortcut, though, there was a risk, of course, that I would have gotten disqualified, at least if anybody saw it. But more than that, I would have known for the rest of my life that I did not, in fact, finish that race. Y'all, those of you that have trusted in Jesus don't only have a Savior as an example in the discipline of the Father to keep you on the course. You also have your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You have your elders, your teachers, and we are all in this together. Look to the person on your right and say, we're in this together. Look to the person on your left and say, we're in this together. Look to the person behind you and say, I'm not letting you fall behind. Y'all got this. We are in this together. And so therefore we have this this call in our text to act well to one another in verses 14 through 17, because if there be something in us individually that is holding us back, or corporately as a church that is holding us back, that threatens our holiness or threatens our witness, we're to nip it in the bud. And so keeping a watchful eye on our fellow brothers and sisters is not an excuse for us to pry or to gossip, but to be our brother's keeper, to realize that we are truly responsible for one another as we strive for holiness together. Everybody say with me, together together. And so Jesus as our model, the Spirit as our helper, the discipline from the Father in our striving together as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we then come to this hope for the future will come to fruition in churches in, in verses 11 through 29, if you'll look back at the text. So wrapping all of that together, we're running this race, we're running it light, Right? We're following Jesus. We have our eyes fixed on him. And we stumble, we fall, we go off course a little bit here and there, but the Father lovingly brings us back to the course that is set before us. The Spirit convicts us, the Spirit continues to sanctify us. We have our fellow brothers and sisters that you all have already promised that you're in this together. You're not going to let them fall behind. So all of that then, as we keep running, we see this kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's a beautiful text. For you have not come to what may be touched. 
a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose word made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But, and everything changes. Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, into innumerable angels and festal gathering, into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, into God, the judge of all, into the spirits of the righteous made perfect, into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, taking all of this together, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What a text. A few weeks ago, there was a major lottery, the Powerball something or other, and I remember seeing all of the tweets, all of the posts, like what so-and-so would do if they won. And, and like, I, I think I might have even shared, like, I won't tell you that I won the lottery, but there's going to be signs. You know, maybe like seven Corvettes in the driveway, you know, front row seats to the Rangers play the Astros, something like that, right? But it, it's normal, though, to let what we know about the future affect how we live today, right? If we know something is going to happen. A hurricane is coming, for example, we're going to maybe realize that we're going to batten down the hatches a little bit, right? If we know something is coming in the future, we know something is going to change in the future, it affects how we live today. Little kids, those of us that are parents, especially of little ones, know this, right? They think they're invincible, that nothing can ever affect them in the future. So they, they jump off of trees, they do all kinds of flips in and out of the trampoline, all that kind of stuff. They're daring, They're invincible. But then as we age a little bit, we get a little more careful in the things that we we do. And heck, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm careful how I get out of bed because it's going to affect the rest of the day. The Christians in our text were in the New Testament era of Mount Zion, no longer bound to this Mount Sinai, the, the old covenant. This new kingdom that we read about so beautifully that we are also invited in is a kingdom full of joy and freedom, but it's easy then to be tempted with complacency and to be tempted with irreverence. And so they too and we need to be reminded that God is still a consuming fire. See that in verse 29. And so as new members of this new heavenly Jerusalem, which only gives us foretaste of today, we have these verses to give us a reason to keep moving forward. 
to keep enduring in obedience with endurance, the race that has been set before us. In other words, we see in this text that we have a destiny that is secure, a destiny in heaven forever and ever and ever if we've turned to Jesus in faith. That's secure, perfectly secure forever and ever and ever. But that doesn't mean that for the rest of our earthly life that we sit on our blessed assurances, but that we continue to run, that we don't grow weary, that we don't go, go complacent in all of this. And so our destiny is secure. We need to live and move and act like it. With Jesus then as our model, the Spirit as our helper, the Father who gives discipline when we err off of the course and we have our brothers and sisters to to help us hold accountable, we strive forward in faith day by day with endurance, not complacency. Many years ago, I was just shy of 300 pounds. I started walking, then kind of like Forrest Gump, I started running and running and eventually I dropped down to 138 pounds. It was, it was hard work. It was a little dumb, too, how much I ran. But there were good days, there were bad days, but I finally met my goal, and then I got a little lazy. I got a little complacent. I didn't weigh in every day. I stopped running as much. I stopped watching what I was eating. Before I knew it, I was 160 pounds. 180 pounds and 200 pounds. That kind of started to wake me up a little bit, but unfortunately the pandemic came in and and that shut everything down at the time we were in New Mexico and they shut everything down in New Mexico. I was writing a dissertation, which is code for a 200-page boring book that I had to write to graduate. Hours upon hours of writing. So I'm just sitting and writing and eating. That was about my life for a while and I kept eating. I'd grown complacent and eventually got back up to about 235 pounds. Something had to change. I had to make a change. Y'all, knowing our eternity is secure, knowing our home in heaven is secure, should not cause us to just rest and sit on our blessed assurance and just forget about it. We keep running. That frees us to run the race that God has set for us. If we don't learn that lesson and live like it, God will bring discipline and bring us back on that course that he's called us to run. He might even have to pick us up a little bit and move us a little forward. But we have to run this race. We will wax and wane. We'll go up and down. We'll go even the wrong directions at times. As the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But the pattern of our lives as modeled after Jesus is to be towards godliness and faith. And that brings us to our so what this morning. For the Christians among us, those of you that have followed Jesus, that you've given your life to Jesus, I hope that we see in this text Jesus, who is the one and the only Savior, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who lived the life that we were called to live, but we couldn't live. He lived it perfectly, completely and totally sinless our perfect and sinless Savior who would die the death that because of our sin, we deserved. He took our place, not just for the fun of it, but for the joy that lay before him. Therefore, in light of that, our response to that is to lay our lives before him in humble obedience, to model our lives after 
him, striving for holiness individually and corporately as a church. We'll err, we'll mess up, we'll fall short, we'll fall behind, but ultimately the Spirit will convict us, the Father will discipline us, our brothers and sisters will hold us accountable and keep us on this course that's been laid in front of us. Let us then, in light of that, lay aside whatever is holding us back, whatever sin, whatever distraction, whatever it may be, and run towards this goal that's been set before us. That's the message for the believers in here, that you have a Father who disciplines you when you get off course, you have a Spirit to convict you when you start messing up, when you've got a Savior to follow, you've got brothers and sisters around you that love you, care for you, you've got others, teachers, those that will help you stay accountable to this faith and so forth. But all of that, for those in this room that may not follow Jesus or have some doubts or are wondering if you're saved, all of that kind of stands before you as, as an offer. Right? As an offer for you. A Father who loves you. A Savior who, who will model a life for you and, and will save you. A Spirit that will help you. A family in here that will help you hold yourself accountable and hold you accountable. All of that here in the text stands before you as an author has an offer. Even that great crowd of witnesses in heaven celebrating your endurance. If that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service. But for all of us, as we close in song, that little story that I opened up with, the walk-off home run, I want us to picture that crossing third or rounding third and making our way home is that is ultimately us going to glory in heaven. The great celebrating, the great rejoicing, all of that kind of stuff is what we will one day see. Until then, we continue rounding the basis. Step by step, more faith, more love, more all of these things. We'll stumble, we'll fall, all of that. The Spirit will help us. The Father will discipline us. One another will hold each other accountable, but we keep running forward. Run light with endurance, with faith, trusting God to lead us forward with the Spirit's help in a great crowd cheering you on. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this day and for your word and the chance to study it together with this offering of worship that is your word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. Lord, we need your spirit to apply it to our lives. Lord, we're about to leave these four walls and and enter into a a world, into our, our mission field. And Lord, all of us have different jobs, different hobbies, different things, but all of us have a race that you have placed us on. Striving after holiness, striving to honor you and to glorify you with everything that we say, think, do, and feel. And Lord, we mess up time and time again. But thank you for loving us enough not to give up on us, but to discipline us. It's not something we much enjoy, but it's for our good. Thank you for that. Thank you for your spirit that convicts us. Lord, even as we've been making our way through this text, if, there's, if, if there is that sin that we're holding on to, or something that's weighing us down, something that's kind of keeping us from running the race that you have called us to, to run, Lord, that even as we sing this song, may us be mindful, and repentant, and humble enough to lay it down. Lord, thank you for the brother, the sister to my right, to my left, behind me, in front of me, that that is in this together with me. Don't let us ever let one of our brothers or sisters fall behind. 
Lord, all of us would continue to run forward towards the goal that you have given us, the prize that you have given us is eternal life in you because of what your son did for us. Father, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you or is unsure, pray that before they leave today that they'd visit with me, one of the elders, one of the teachers here. Lord, talk about what it means to follow you and what what the gospel means, what, what your son did by coming and living a perfect life, dying, sacrificial death, rising victoriously, offering salvation and forgiveness and and new life. Return to him in faith. Lord, help us respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand as you respond. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.